You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Verona. Alejandro, che bello entrare con così tanto pubblico, che giro è stato il tuo? Pues sí, nada, muchísimas gracias a todos. Ha sido, ha sido, ha sido un placer disfrutar de este giro de Italia y súper contento de, de ser mi último giro y compartirlo con todos vosotros y gracias otra vez. Grazie, grazie veramente. No, sono emozioni veramente molto forti che forse neanche quando ho vinto ho provato. E quindi vi dico veramente eternamente grazie. Campione olimpico, vincitore di un giro d'Italia, campione nazionale della prova cronometro, Richard Garapaz! Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the Giro d'Italia, the first Australian to win the Giro d'Italia for his nation, from Cora Hansgrower, Jai Hindley! It's 20 years since Cadell Evans wore the first Maglia Rosa for Australia. It's 70 years since three Australians were trailblazers for your nation. Summarize for me your emotions right now as the winner of the Giro d'Italia. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a surreal feeling to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, yesterday uh, was an incredible feeling to, to go into the pink jersey and uh, yeah, <laughs> to pull off the win today, it's, uh, it's incredible really and uh, yeah. Brian, hope is a lover's staff. Walk hence with that and manage it against despairing thoughts. Do you know where that's from? It's Shakespeare. It's Shakespeare. It has to be, Two it? gentlemen of Verona. We're two gentlemen of Verona. Brian, where are we? We are in front of L'Antica Bottega di Verona, one of the true landmarks of the, not just this town, but anywhere in the world. It's a 3,000 different bottles of wine on the wine list here. Um, you're probably hoping to try some of them, but the quote itself was out because it referred, it could have referred to Richard Carapaz this morning. Couldn't it? Um, ahead of the final time trial to Verona, alas, his hopes his last remaining hope to win the Giro d'Italia was dashed, but 
in the intro there, Brian, we heard the receptions that four different riders got as they rode into the famous arena, the beautiful arena, and it was packed as well today. Alejandro Valverde, who's riding his last Giro d'Italia. Vincenzo Nibli, who's riding his last Giro d'Italia. Did I just say Alejandro Valverde was riding his first Giro d'Italia? I may have done. No, you no, didn't, didn't, but okay. we know what you mean. Um, and Carapaz himself. And Jai Hindley, the winner of the 2022 Giro d'Italia. A surprise winner, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, not after yesterday, but after seeing him be so close. I mean, he started the, the time trial in pink the year, two years ago, when he lost to Tao Gegenhardt. So seeing him, you know, in this position now is... You couldn't say it was surprising because he's the strongest. He was been. He has been the strongest and potentially also the smartest rider in the world. Sorry, in the race. But um, it was sort of a homecoming for him too, in that sense, with his parents here that he hasn't seen he for hasn't two seen and for a half two years. Two and a half years since, since just before. Well, since a few months before he had that fantastic Giro d'Italia in 2020. Brian, well, the atmosphere here is boisterous, and it's going to get more boisterous because Pippo Pozzato is in the thick of things, and we just turned a corner in the Centro Storico of Verona, and I think we heard him before we saw him. You'd identified the wine bar already, and we were gravitating towards... Halfway running, I would say. Yes, the wine bar, and of course, well, you can I mean, probably Pippo hear it. There really are toast, the glasses being clinked. Pippo is a movable feast. <laughs> he's an institution here as well. He's an institution many places in Italy... Um, as well as being an institution inside his own head, I think. Um, and but he was very, he was very warm, wasn't he? he? He welcomed us in. He said, "I come here all the time." He accosted one of the waiters, or in fact, the, the I think the owner of this establishment. That was some presentation. Yeah, the, and, and they gave me a wine list, and you know, you'd almost have to be two people to carry that wine list. It's, it's beyond a book. It's literally like you could you could use it as a table if you had chairs next to it. He said, "Treat these people not well." better than well yeah in Italy that goes a long way it does it does I've never felt I'm walking six inches taller this evening Um, Brian it was a great atmosphere wasn't it in the Arena di Verona we talked earlier in the Giro about the way the crowds and the interest in Italy has ebbed and flowed depending on where we've been we've been in a few of these cycling heartlands in the North Brescia and then Trento and those kind of areas where cycling is very well established always has been and in the south, it was sort of less conspicuous, the, the fervour in certain places. And we talked, didn't we, about how Vincenzo Nibali, we thought he was probably the only Italian rider that a lot of Italians still know, still heard of. He certainly got a fantastic reception, didn't he, today? But, I mean, you could hear there the volume, the intensity of the applause was greater than it was for Richard Carapaz, certainly Jai Hindley. It was a, it was a roar when he entered the, the arena. And just to think of, you know... Everyone who loves opera knows the arena, obviously, but but standing in there in a, in a two thousand year old, on a two thousand year old scene, that place is just. A, I mean, we're used to having the Giro finish in Milano like it did last year, and in front of the Duomo, that's something special. But they really nailed it here, I think, because it's, it attracts such a concentrated, dense crowd. It's almost like a stadium where they can really salute the riders for for one last time before the race is over. Brian, I'm going to indulge you for a few more seconds before we go to Not Watford which feels a very, very long way from where we are, particularly this evening. What are we drinking? We're drinking a Suave. You were quite adamant that we needed a local wine, and I thought I was going to delve into the wine list, which would take me probably most of the podcast to do. So you were right. I caught it, you know, and it's not cutting any corners. It's just really focusing on the local, which is really what the Giro is about. You know, it's, it's a movable appreciation of the various terras and the various types of 
people, areas that we meet along the way. And we began the day, Brian, speaking German, didn't we? We were right up in the well, northernmost, at the northernmost extreme of Italy, near Bolzano. It felt felt very unlike Italy. And well, everything whenever, worked. It did. Everything worked um, extremely well. But wherever Pippo Pozzato can be found, orchestrating, sort of whipping up a group of a very large group of his friends, it starts to feel very much like Italy again. Brian, it's doubled since we came. It has, it has, and it will continue to swell. I, I would suggest, Brian, let's go to Lionel. As expected, Richard Carapaz was quicker than Jai Hindley in the final 17.4 kilometer time trial, which was held on a circuit I remember from covering the 1999 World Road Race Championships, which feels a very long time ago now. But crucially, Carapaz was only seven seconds faster, and so Australia's first Giro d'Italia champion was crowned in Verona. The stage itself went to the Italian national time trial champion Matteo Sobrero of Bike Exchange. He set the fastest time around midway through the day and his time stood quite comfortably. Prior to Sobrero setting that quickest time, Michael Hepburn, Magnus Court and Mauro Schmidt had been leaders in the clubhouse. The closest to Sobrero was Timon Allensman of Team DSM, who was 23 seconds slower. And he was one of three Dutchmen queuing up behind the stage winner, because in third place was Matthew van der Poel at 40 seconds and fourth was Bauke Mollema at 1 minute and 8. Then came Ben Tulit of Ineos Grenadiers in 5th place and his teammate Carapaz was 10th on the stage and Hindley 15th. So overall Hindley's winning margin was trimmed a little bit but he beat Carapaz by 1 minute and 18 seconds and Bora Hansgrohe have their first Grand Tour champion. Mikel Lander was 3rd at 3 minutes 24 after losing a bit more time. That's his second Grand Tour podium place after finishing 2015's Giro in 3rd place. Vincenzo Nibali waved farewell to the Giro with fourth place, nine minutes and two seconds back. And the only change in the top ten today was that Hugh Carthy leapt above Juan Pedro Lopez into ninth place. As we already knew, the other classifications were already sewn up. Arno Demar won the points classification for the second time, Kuhn Bauman won the King of the Mountains, and Juan Pedro Lopez was the best young rider. Before I hand back to Italy, I'd like to say a big thank you to a few people on behalf of Daniel and myself. First of all, to Brian Nygaard for his excellent stint on the mic this week. To our producers, Adam Bowie, Will Jones, John Mooney, Hugh Owen and Tom Wally, who work so hard to get not only the stage episodes, but Kilometre Zero out every day. To Amana Terra for providing the music once again for the Giro d'Italia and setting the tone for our coverage in their unique way. A big thank you to our sponsors, Super Sapiens, Science in Sport and MAP, of course, and to Greg Andrews of Divine Cellars for curating the collection of wine, which is still available. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com if you want to buy a case. Also, thank you to David Luxton and everyone at David Luxton Associates, but most of all, to all of our listeners for tuning in and also for your comments throughout the race. We do appreciate them a lot. Thank you very much. Now back to Daniel and Brian, who I expect are enjoying something post-race somewhere in Verona. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast. Powered by Super Sapiens. 
Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors, of course. If you've been listening to our series of Kilometre Zero from this Giro d'Italia, you will know that Sam Brand kept an audio diary at the Tour of Hellas recently. Sam, like all the riders on the Novo Nordisk team, is a type 1 diabetic, and so he monitors his blood glucose levels in real time for an altogether more critical reason. I'd like to thank Sam for recording those slots for us, because I think they destigmatize diabetics in sport and also demystify the idea of monitoring blood glucose levels for health and performance so thank you very much sam if you want to find out more about super sapiens go to supersapiens.com hey everyone sam here from team nova nordisk just checking in one final time after a, uh, a tough but rewarding uh, tour of hellas five uh, stages uh, of climbs sprints uh, attacks, chases, everything, you name it. Uh, we did it and um, came away with some fantastic results with Andrea uh, and David and GC. So uh, really happy with the performance, my own performance with the boys' performance. Absolutely fantastic teamwork. It's It's been incredible. We're just now off for a 300k transfer from the final stage to Thessaloniki which is where we'll fly out off uh, first thing in the morning but now um, we're fortunate we got to see some fantastic scenery throughout these five stages Um, absolutely amazing support great to be here driving change in diabetes uh, in Greece as our overall mission of driving change around the world for everyone affected by diabetes uh it's been a pleasure it always is a pleasure hopefully you've enjoyed the diary and i hope to do it again soon so watch this space thank you very much and take care well brian when we headed south this morning from bolzano towards verona the rain was falling heavily it continued to fall or it started to rain again when we got to verona and the start area this morning and Things were a little bit tense, understandably so. Although there was a great, there was an air of sort of triumphalism um, last night about what Jai Hindley had done, and a lot of people were willing to sort of declare this Giro d'Italia over. We mentioned yesterday, didn't we, how much time Carapaz had lost to Nibali in the final time trial in 2019. It didn't cost him the Giro d'Italia, but it underlined that it, this wasn't done and dusted, was it? And we could sense some of that this morning around the Bora Hansgrohe bus. Time trials are always, you, you'll know this, time trials are always tense days, aren't they? And you can, you can probably imagine what the atmosphere was like around that bus this morning. Yeah. Also because, I mean, it was a relatively safe margin that Jai Hindley had coming into today. But it doesn't take really more than a, yeah, a crisis. It's probably, you know, it's obviously the worst thing that can happen. You know, a puncture, mechanical, before it starts to get really close. So it, it is tense, and it, as it should be. It's, you know, you race against the clock, you, any mistake will be made by yourself, so that is, creates a different kind of nervous atmosphere. It's a, it's a real build-up, and it's a build-up that lasts. It starts early, and it, it's, not, it's not over until it's over. You really have to finish the job yourself. Yeah, and I think unlike last time when Jai Hindley, well, two years ago, Jai Hindley and Teo Gegenhardt went into the final time trial on the same time, didn't they? But Hindley was very much the underdog. Today, he had nothing to gain, really, I mean, apart from securing this Giro victory, which, of course, is the biggest prize in his career. But he he had even more to lose. And And um, it would have been in the back of his mind, that experience he had. And he said on a press conference where you and I sat in um, this afternoon that it took him a very long time to deal with having been in the pink jersey and then losing it in Milano, even if it was foreseeable in the same way that it was foreseeable for him to defend it against Carapaz, who was his nearest rival. But it would, have, it would have played into his mind. And if it did today, it did in a good way because he would not let this one go. 
And just to give you a sense of that tension and that suspense, we've talked so much about suspense in this Giro Italia. There was some still this morning. Let's hear from Enrico Gasparotto, who has been Jai Hindley's direct sportif at Bora Hansgrohe throughout this Giro d'Italia. I spoke to him at the start. And also Cece Cesare Benedetti, who finished his time trial just after lunchtime, really, or about three o'clock in the afternoon. But his thoughts were very much with his teammate Jai Hindley. First of all, Enrico, how are you feeling? I guess nervous, slightly still? Yeah, obviously, yes. The race will finish at uh, hopefully 5.15, more or less, no? And, uh, I mean, uh, I'm tired, that's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure, and, uh, yeah. And have you spent the morning, have you done the um, recons this morning, or I guess you'd also done them in advance? No, we did the recon this morning. The good thing is Jai was uh, here in the Giro 2019, so I think he did already the time trial. It's slightly different, but most of the parkour is the same that we did already. So uh, I think he did two times the parkour and three times the descent. And um, yeah, I really hope that the rain stops uh, because these few drops are even making us more nervous, obviously. <laughs> It doesn't help to stay calm, that. But uh, yeah, we are. Um, I think yesterday was a big day for Jai because you know we were pretty confident about the outcome. But uh, to put one minute twenty-five one to to Carapaz, uh, I think is a little bit more than what we expected. But I was joking about that and I said, yeah, we don't need to do any bonus second. We just we get two minutes before the tantra and we are fine, no. <laughs> and actually 125 is not that bad and everyone I uh, have to say the mechanics uh, work until 1 o'clock 1.30 last night and uh, the, the physios as well and we went in bed at midnight sport directors and uh, and also the riders I went to them in the kitchen track and they were really you know obviously happy because of the team performance that we had yesterday but still focused we have a few of them that really want to go for the stage win so that means that uh, this, you know, team spirit, even in a day like today, is still, is still good and important for Jai. We need to keep it our daily routine until the end. Cheche, I, I spoke to Enrico Gasparotto this morning. He was pretty nervous. And does that pretty much sum up the mood in the camp this morning? You are still a little bit anxious about what might happen later. Uh, we saw in the past uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, you can never say end until... Till it's over, you know. Uh, personally, I can remember watching uh, Dennis Mentov in uh, in Rome uh, in the last city. Uh, it was also an arena that day. It was also uh, I don't remember. No, it was in San Pietro, maybe. In the, Going to the Colosseum, I think. Was it? I can't remember. I just remember it was on the cobbles. They were wet, and the uh, uh, front wheel slipped away. And so you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's nervous. Uh, Enrico for sure. Uh, I've seen you also the video yesterday in the car. It was pretty emotional, uh, and yeah, we wait uh, until the very end to to say that uh, that Jai is uh, is pink. When you were out there today on the course, were you thinking about Jai and thinking, oh, this bit might be a little bit dangerous, risky, um, or it should be okay here? Uh, it's supposed to be dry later. Uh, actually, uh, I had the GoPro on the bike uh, f- for uh, the guys to, to watch the course later. Although they they tried the course twice uh, 
uh, this morning. So uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, Zai is pretty good in handling handling the bike. At handling the bike, so uh, I'm not worried at the moment. Uh. Well, Brian, I suppose one strategy we've often seen this employed when riders have to make up time in a final time trial and they're trying to overhaul a deficit on general classification is starting very fast, putting the pressure on and trying to induce a mistake. But I I think I would be lying to say that the suspense was maintained too long into today's time trial. It seemed fairly clear, fairly early that Hindley was going relatively well. He was going at a similar pace to Carapaz. Carapaz wasn't, he wasn't pulling up any trees. And it did feel like a little bit of a procession towards the end and that Jai Hindley could ultimately enjoy it. I mean, he told us in his press conference, this was struck me as quite curious, that he hadn't really had a, a, a terribly nervous moment throughout the whole year, apart from the mechanical in the end of the, at the end of the stage in Treviso, he didn't know whether he was in the final three kilometres or outside the final three kilometres, and he saw the two kilometres to go um, banner, and that was the moment at which you know he could he could breathe. But other than that, he said he'd never had a day in this Giro d'Italia where he'd had bad legs, and he really felt like he was hanging on. He felt as though his team had been protecting him and made him almost impregnable throughout. And he certainly hasn't looked it either. I was wondering for certain parts during this race, especially after we saw some of the other favourites leave, Lopez, Bardet, Simon Yates, that they were very much trying to keep their GC aspirations alive with more than one rider. And I think at one point they, they had to let that go and use their cards a bit more wisely considering the entire scenario they were up against, especially with Ineos and Bahrain Merida. And it, it's all, it all came together for them. It made sense for them to have that strategy when there were more potential rivals, rivals for the GC but when it turned out to be just Carapaz and maybe in a small way Landa, it was it was all eggs in one basket and it had Hindi's name on it and that made perfect sense and he has really exuded a, a calmness um, throughout this Giro d'Italia hasn't he and, and as the stages or as we've got closer to the finale and uh, closer to the moment of truth I suppose I mean yesterday morning in Belluno just between his interviews I grabbed a word with him you know just off the record off mic and I sort of asked him casually, you know, how he was feeling and what he felt about the the, the bad weather forecast yesterday, and and he did seem very relaxed, and um, and that has been a hallmark of his whole kind of countenance, his whole um, modus operandi at this Giro d'Italia, and in fact, it's something that everyone has mentioned. His teammates have mentioned. His direct sportif Enrico Gasparotto mentioned again this morning. In fact, let's hear now again from Gasparotto about precisely that quality Hindley's calmness and let's also hear from another Australian another young Australian Chris Hamilton who rides for a different team DSM but knows Hindley very well and he was certainly delighted when he finished his time trial not at Hindley winning because he hadn't yet sealed the deal but at the prospect of Jai Hindley taking Australia's first Giro d'Italia victory everyone in the team has been impressed by how relaxed Jai has been throughout the three weeks you know he's you wouldn't know that he was going for general classification. That's what the riders have told us. What's really impressed you about him, both on and off the bike? I think first thing that um, he, he showed in many stages how how clever he is on the finals. Uh, he never uh, he never did something extra. He was really calculating everything. And then uh, for me, for me, Jai is still a young rider and uh, it's pretty impressive because. 
most of the time when you are at the limit, uh, then you you can lose the focus. And I was really super focused until the final, until the line. And also talking at the radio to the other guys and to us was always calm. Even in stressful situation was always calm. And that, I think, is, uh, is the key for a GC contender, uh, for a GC rider. And uh, he showed that skill and uh, I think uh, he will have a brilliant, brilliant future. I, I don't know anyone in the bunch that doesn't want him to win, you know, he's just a lovely guy. Yeah, one of our funniers, um, you know, I used to be on the team, so everyone, you know, was really rooting for him. And then, yeah, first thing I, did, I heard when I crossed the line was, Josh, put a minute 25 into Carapaz, and I just, you know, I was just, yeah, yeah, I had the tingles, you know, I'm just like, holy shit, he's going to do it. You can never know for sure, um, but, you know, I just, I know how strong he is, I know how hard he works, and, you know, I could just... Yeah, when he when he's in a race like this and he's on, like, yeah, he, he can do anything. Yeah, I, I think people in Australia probably can't comprehend just how big this is because, you know, in Australia it's it's a bit like you know it, it's not super cycling's not massive there, like it's pretty big, but you know everyone's like you know in Tour de France and stuff like that. But I, for for Jai to do this, it's just it's huge. It's you know I I, I don't know the last you know sporting achievement like this. Chris, Hendrik Verne's coach earlier in the week talked about he's not the necessarily the guy with the you know the most power or who can go the longest but the way he recovers from fatigue is incredible. What strikes you most about him as an athlete, Joe? I just how humble he is, you know. Um, I've known Jai for a really long time, you know, we, we came through this team together and stuff like that. And, you know, I see him, you know, he's one of my best mates, so we, we spend heaps of time together with a lot of training and stuff like that. And, you know, I can tell you the the guy that, you know, I first got to know in 2018 is just, you know, a, a young Neo pro, both of us, you know, pretty fresh on the scene. It's it's still the exact same Jai Henley there is today. And, you know, he'll be, yeah, I, I hope he comes away, the, you know, with the pink jersey, but... Um, He'll go home and, and, you know, it'll still be just the same old shit. Well, Brian, I mentioned there that this will be, or it was, Australia's first Giro d'Italia victory. Of course, Cadell Evans came very close in 2002. He took the pink jersey very unexpectedly. He was a debutant for Mappe that year, and he lost it spectacularly in the Dolomites. You know Australian cycling well, having worked for Orica Green Edge, what is now Bike Exchange, Jayco, for several years. Um... It's difficult to gauge, I know, here in Italy, and Chris Hamilton said that this is going to be huge in Australia. How huge is it going to be? How important is it going to be? Often the thing with cycling in countries far away, including Australia, the States and elsewhere, and probably also now the continent of Africa, the tour is really the the big ticket. And sometimes these, in my opinion, beautiful, potentially even more beautiful, more exciting, more interesting races, they they fly under the radar until someone from that country wins the same would, have, would could have been said if you know i think for when andy hampston won the giro uh, it definitely made that race a big deal in the states but it takes a rider to really do well in those and, and potentially win it for it to really become a, a big thing and i, I agree with uh, hamilton that's that i hope that's going to happen in australia and there's obviously a lot of italians in australia but there's a big interest for cycling it hasn't hasn't decreased you know it was a, a lot of people thought that after Cadell retired you know what was going to happen would there still be interest but if, you know, thanks to Jerry Ryan who is a long term backer of, of the team that's now Bike Exchange Jayco he's kept it alive 
both on the men's side and on the women's side. And now I think it's good and it's healthy for Australian cycling that there is a plethora of potential winners, you know, and in any kind of terrain really now they, they have a, a grant to a, not just aspiration, but a grant to a champion again. Jayco or Bike Exchange Jayco had a very good day because they won the stage. We'll come to that later. But will there be a, 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 a just a smidgen of frustration that, well, I think there will be at DSM because it's, this is another rider who's left that team and gone on to even greater success. But um, the fact that we've got an Australian Grand Tour winner with Jai Hindley today and he's not on the sort of de facto Australian national team, will that cause any gnashing of teeth? Well, two things on that. It's actually now almost a proven point that if you really want to do well in cycling, you should go to DSM and then leave as fast as you can and your results will follow. Yeah, I mean, John Hindley started out on the bike exchange development team and he you know, he did really well in the, in the Baby Giro the year Sivakov won. So he's not, he's not in any way flown under the radar, but... You can't you, you can't monopolize where the riders will be, you know, doing well in their career, even if they have the same nationality of where your team license is, is is stemming from. So I'm sure they would like to have him, but they have other. I mean, they have Simon Yates. How would you how would you proceed True. with that trajectory of, and then bringing Jai Hindley into the mix I'm, of that? I mean, there have been a lot of Australian riders in the last few years who are successful Australian riders who have not ridden for Orica Green Edge, but generally with the general classification riders contenders that there have been really good and identifiable reasons for that which have been to do with often with personality i would say in some cases and other reasons with jai hindley it's harder to understand why why he hasn't ended up at orica green edge at some point or since you know as you said he was with their development team and and you know the, the commitment the financial commitment as well to the yates brothers and particularly simon now is one explanation but um yeah, that, that'll be an interesting one to follow because he's joined Bora and he's, he's yeah, and he's hit the ground running with them. It seems to fit in really well. You know, it's a German team, but it's also a very international team. And um, they've got some impressive coaches, team managers. G- Gasparotto has earned a lot of praise, rightfully I think, for and the way he's managed his Giro d'Italia tactically. And Rolf Aldag has made a has caused a big shift there since he what moved. A, and what a journey it's been for them. They started out. It, you couldn't say humble beginnings, but they'd been around for a while. They were really known as Peter Sagan's team for a very long time. It, it took a while for them to grow into what they are now. And it's, it's in my opinion, very important that we have more teams that have a winning, intelligent, well-funded structure. It's a proper sponsorship as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's and it's, German cycling has, and you know everything about that, you follow German cycling closer than anyone I know. And it's it's been a tough old time for German cycling to really come to the point now where they 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 have a real German team now with German know-how with international riders so I really salute them for that for that journey for the it hasn't been an easy one I think either with people coming and going but but now they're here and you know when you see we're now at a we have a critical mass of strong teams and it's not just Tim Ineos against the rest of them you know with with Jumbo Visma with you know UAE and, and now with Brohan Square they've grown into a full-fledged uh, GC team and that's very important for the quality of racing we're going to see in the coming years Brian we gleaned a few other things from Jai Hindley's press conference I mean generally speaking observing him over the last three weeks what we've seen I think is a 
he's a, a seemingly quite a matter-of-fact character, quite a nonchalant character, very relaxed, very laid back. But there's a flintiness, there's an, there's definitely a steel there that must be... I mean, you don't get to win the Giro d'Italia without that. He's alluded to the problems he had last year with the saddle sore, which he says was much worse than people realised. And he had darker moments than people realised. He didn't particularly want to go into those in the interviews that I've seen, but he suggested that he might do at some point in the future another thing that i thought was interesting in his press conference we've always talked in cycling about in one day races and also in stage races about riders possibly having one bullet and needing to use it wisely but we've, we've always said that in the context of a single day of racing and we've always imagined they had a, a bullet today a bullet tomorrow a bullet the next day i think the way Jai Hindley talked about conserving and, and rationing his energy over the Giro d'Italia reflected a change and reflects a change in the way Grand Tours will be ridden, are being ridden. Um, he talked about almost having one bullet for the whole race, for the whole three weeks, and knowing that the best place to employ that was yesterday on the Fedaya. Now, we've debated and what other people have complained about the suspense you call it suspense other people call it call it boredom on this Giro d'Italia you know the wait the endless wait the interminable wait for someone to show their cars to commit um, one of those three riders we call them the three tenors Landa Carapaz and Hindi and it finally happened yesterday but is this a sign of things to come in Grand Tour racing when everyone is so well prepared everyone knows what each other is doing how they're preparing and the courses are set up as well to maintain maximum suspense. Is this something that we're just going to have to get used to? That riders are, are going to treat three-week races almost the way they used to treat one-day races? I'm not sure. I think this race would have panned out differently. I'm not saying that Hindi wouldn't have won. But if Simon Yates, if especially Lopez and, and Badep, who was going really well when he had to access the race, if they had been here, it would have been a different bike race, I think. The dynamics, I think, mainly are different and could be different going into the future with more than one strong team. And I think that's good for cycling because it also means that the other teams won't be dictated by a strong team like, like Ineos. And that certainly wasn't the case here. Bora wouldn't let the race be dictated by, by Ineos. They, it was a stalemate. I agree with that for, for quite a long time. But it also had to do with the architecture of the, of the parkour with those mountain stages and the extremely difficult last week. And if anyone had gone all in, say, on Blockhouse, Etna, no one was stupid enough to do that, in my opinion, luckily. And in the earlier, the middle part of the race, which was the middle part of the race was relatively easy. But being such a warm race, and Matt White said yesterday, it's probably the warmest year he can remember, and he's done a few. I think for the architect of the race, it was bound to end up like that when you have riders with such similar uh, curves of potential performance. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car, the back of the pack, please. We are very excited to be working with MAP on some cycling podcast kit, which will be unveiled very soon, at the start of the Tour de France, in fact. And I'm itching to explain more, but uh, I'm not allowed to at this stage. But Jared Smith, one of the founders of the MAP company, is equally excited about the collaboration. And this was what he had to say when we met him in Catania at the start of the Giro. Check out MAP's other clothing at map.cc, that's M-A-A-P.cc. And stay tuned for details of our cycling podcast jersey. 
we will be unveiling some designs at the start of the Tour de France. But until then, this is Jared Smith. I have to say as well, I've, I worked a closely with Misha on these designs and I can't wait till they come out. <laughs> but that's the sort of kit I want to be wearing and I'd love to see back in the peloton. But um, So yeah, we can't say too much about them. But no, I'm really excited to see them come about and we, Misha, you know, really dug deep into the archives there and I'd have to say it is a bit similar to the direction of map when we started and um, with the fashions changing it's kind of coming back now so we have a couple of jerseys coming out of our own collection that have the similar sort of direction where these came from. Yeah I'm really excited to see them come out. Misha, our chief um, creative officer, he's been with us since the start and he just his passion for the, the, the the cycling from the 70s, 80s and 90s, it's there and he's, he's an amazing designer and we, you know, we usually just say, yep, we'll, give, we'll just wait until Misha comes back with something and bam, he usually blows us away and Ollie and I sit with Misha once he's done his designs and we're able to work with him and um, give our input as well with colours and oh, merging different, different designs into one or yeah, we like this one or that one but at the end of the day, it's... Um, it starts with Misha and he's really nailed it with, with the brief, I believe. And a lot of the time we get asked to make kits, uh, whether it's we used to do custom, but we have collaborations or partnerships. Yeah, there's a lot of restraint or, oh no, we need the logo here, we need it this big or that big. And uh, just being able to have full control and then be able to present the three best back to you. It's, it's amazing to hear that you did love all of them and... Um, appreciated the design. There were many more that were culled down to get to those three. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, but generally once it gets presented, it's uh, at a high level that we would love to see come come to life. Well, Brian, the dust has not settled. The celebratory suaves still have not been... Well, Yours has. Well, it has actually. Mine's gone. Um, but you, you've still got a little... A half inch there left in the bottle um, left in the bottle left in not a bottle left in the glass we have not ordered a bottle though I think Pippo might be on his second or third just over there on our left but Brian it's the time for conclusions learnings about this Giro d'Italia I was asking a few riders today what they learned about themselves from this Giro d'Italia and also what they learned about Italy we'll get on to that in a minute I should also preface this with an apology to one of the things I've learned about this Giro d'Italia is that my Zoom H4N recorder, if it runs out of batteries mid-interview, the interview is not saved. So apologies to Dries de Bon, who gave me a cracking interview, Brian. Probably my best interview of the Giro. I'm going to have to just sum it up or some of the, the hot takes. Um, he's learned, well, he, of course he's learned about Italians, and this has been a running joke on Twitter, that Italians don't like pineapple on pizza. But he's also learned that Italians don't generally approve of Parmesan shavings, that it has to be grated. Um, although there are exceptions to that, aren't there? Well, I'm thinking of shavings, actually, of more ricotta on pasta la norma in, in Sicily. But yeah, when it comes to Parmesan, it generally is a, has to be grated. Um, he said he'd also learned, employing uh, a quintessentially English idiomatic expression that it's not over until the fat lady sings we were in an arena today famous for its opera singers but he wasn't referring to that he was referring to the fact that he was convinced his Giro or his hopes of winning a stage in this Giro were were over after well about the halfway point after the Torino stage that was one of the stages that he targeted and he thought he'd messed up by not 
being in the key break that day and um, he was quite down about it but sure enough a few days later the last opportunity really for well for a rider like him he believed Treviso he got the win so um, he was in very chipper form as he has been throughout this Giro d'Italia but learnings from this Giro Brian I'm not going to ask you what you've learned about yourself I'm going to ask you what you learned about me in this Giro d'Italia and what you've learned about Italy and then we're going to turn it around and I'm going to say what I've learned about you Brian Nygaard on this Giro d'Italia so, and it has to be me first right? yes oh, well just as a warm up I'll, I'll so take it has to be complimentary <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. well it couldn't not be what I've learned about Italy I I sort of had a, a hint of that last year when I when I did the, the second part of the Giro with Richard and in his absence and in thinking about him because it's been impossible not to and especially traveling with you I've given myself the liberty to, to cherish a lot more being at bike races and to open my eyes to what's around the corner and not always think about being somewhere else which is something I've, I've struggled with I think in the past um, I, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot it's, even in, in our way of doing it it's still quite it takes its toll you know you move around a lot but I I've really I've learned to cherish the moment and there's always something you know lurking behind the corner there's always new places to see but if you're not actually enjoying them while you do you, you're going to miss out on a lot of things so I've I've never had a better way of and with a companion that knows Italy if not better than at least as well as me I've, I've, I've really enjoyed just being a part of it and not thinking so much about a lot of other things you know and I think it, it Maybe I thought maybe we're doing this also in vicariously, or we're doing it, you know, for Richard in that sense. You know, that we, you know, we we spoke about that earlier with the stage to Genoa and when they when the when the race passed where Votsavailan died, and and he he always said, and there's a quote that's famous for him that you know, think less, live more, and it sounds like something that yeah, when you're 26 year old, you're out, you're allowed to say that, but it I think there's a lot of truth in that. So, and what I've learned about you. <laughs> well, you and I have known each other f- for, for quite a while. I'd say we, we probably, in the, especially in the last 10, 15 years, we've, you know, we've, we definitely spent quite a bit of time together, but never as much as we did this, this year. Uh, to say that I've learned one thing is... is, is um, it's 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 it's, 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 it's hard I'm for me to make that. I'm not drunk as much as people yet. <laughs> no, obviously, can hear that. obviously no, I'll, I'll try and make you later. I'm so impressed at how you how you em- embraced this Giro coming out of a, what must have been a very very difficult period of your life. Uh, the dedication you showed this podcast with people don't know how much work goes into to actually putting this together in a very short amount of time. I certainly didn't. I had a, a glimpse of it last year. You Brian, re- you Brian's re- only saying this because I had a bit of a tantrum about 20 minutes ago because it was all getting a bit too much after the finish. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with a lot of people uh, around me, but we're in a very quiet, uh, what feels like a safe haven for me with that huge wine list lurk, <laughs> lurking behind my back. But you really, you're so dedicated to this podcast and you're, not, you're definitely not doing it for your own ego. You're not doing it for... I think you're doing it for the sake of the listeners and you're doing it for the, for the memory of, of, of Richard. And... I have endless respect for that, Daniel. I really mean it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. I will go on to the easier half of the the question first. And about Italy, I mean, it's easy. We always talk about the diversity of the this country, don't we? And it was brought home to us again, as I already mentioned, when we were in the, the far north this morning and we were speaking German at breakfast and we were trying to visualise 
a Sicilian or someone from the south walking through the front door and it was it was quite hard because it's a part of Italy that I think a lot of Italians feel quite alienated from so there is that and that's always clearly communicated by the Giro route every year and also the nature of the Giro route generally there are regions I mean there are regions that complain about being snubbed but it does cover a lot of the country um, and it's a long country and a big country so there was that but I also I'm also always struck in Italy by the vivacity and the sort of joie de vivre. I'm going to use a French word, I, almost ironically, because it's something that I don't see as much on the Tour de France. There's a festiveness about the Italian people, which I always find uh, quite life-affirming. And it, it makes me optimistic about the future of everything about Italy, really. Because I, you know, I mentioned a few days ago, I think we were talking about food. I think the Italians are great innovators. Um, they're, they're famous for rebuilding. There have been many times in the history of Italy where they've had to rebuild, reconstruct. Including these years. Yes, yes. And, and I think that about the Giro d'Italia as well. And I see the number of young people w working on the Giro d'Italia and it's really dominated by people in their 20s and early 30s. And although that hasn't really filtered down into the peloton yet and it's still pretty slim pickings when it comes to... Well, the, the riders who are going to take over from Vincenzo Nibli, if there are going to be any, because it, I think the next five years might be even more barren. But as far as this race is concerned, I, I am quite optimistic. There's an energy about it. You know, we've talked before about the aesthetics of it, the way local communities embrace this Giro. And the Giro embraces the local communities. They do a lot of work before the race passes and they make sure that the, those places are, are ready to receive the Giro and, and in a festive way. And that's really noticeable. And I think of all the Grand Tours, the Giro does that does that best and I was talking about precisely well these themes with an Italian Max Chandri the Movistar director sportif earlier today and he talked about as well driving up the Fedaia yesterday the Marmolada and just noticing how different demographically things are becoming and he no noticed how many women and how many girls are, are riding the climb riding on the course um, and that's a significant change I mean it's you know it's still largely the preserve this sport of men But it's noticeable that Italy, you know, although, you know, we might think that Italy is, is drunk on and when it comes to cycling, sometimes it seems to be drunk on its own nostalgia. And there were many years. In fact, I remember Pippo Pozzato, who, um, who is on his sixth or seventh glass of Suave next to us. But I remember him complaining a few years ago about how Italian TV was obsessed with showing old film of Coppi and Bartali. And um, and and the the the. the the people at the roadside have reflected a different Italy, a changing Italy, a forward-looking Italy, and I think that's been really encouraging. Brian, when it comes to you, I mean, I, I can't really wrap my arms around the, 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 how many strings to your bow and how interesting your life has been. Um, you, you, you're a Renaissance man, and you're a, a man of, as I said, um, many talents, many interests, and many shades and it's absolutely fascinating spending time with you and your, your easy company generally you're always on time which is great and hopefully together we've brought the the listeners well as as we said we were talking in the car this morning a different story within the story of the Giro d'Italia our Giro d'Italia is very different to the Giro d'Italia that people experience on the tv screens it's a Giro d'Italia of 
of toll booths and late dinners and, and missing things in the race, not noticing that quite significant things have happened because we simply can't watch TV all the time. And then we're so busy after the finish that we don't have time to catch up either if we, if we have any hope of getting the podcast out by 9 or 10 o'clock. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people have enjoyed and embraced that. And, um, you know, and it was the same, of course, with Lionel in the first two weeks. And, and again, Lionel was fantastic company. And it was, uh, it was everything that the Giro, we hoped the Giro was going to be when we talked before the race about this being the greatest road trip that we were about to embark upon with the spirit of, of Richard very much guiding us, motivating us and and keeping us focused but that's enough about us brian um as i said earlier over the course of the afternoon i spoke to numerous riders about their learnings from the giro d'italia about themselves and about italy can i just ask you about your own giro and um, one thing you've learned about yourself in this giro and one thing you've learned about italy ah uh, about myself i don't know i mean um I think, yeah, I like to think I've made an- another step forward in, uh, you know, in my GC support role and stuff like that. It was obviously, you know, I went here with a with a full mindset of working for Roman and stuff like that. And then, you know, when when his illness came and stuff like that, it's quite hard to turn your head around and be like, oh, okay, I can I can go for stages. Um, you know, look, I'm I'm a little disappointed that you know not everything fell into place for me to get in in the right move on the right day and stuff like that, but. You know that's bike racing, and it's just it's it's hard to make the breakaways. I think it's that's one thing people don't understand too much. But um, yeah, I've also learned that uh, one thing I've learned about Italy is we can have a Giro without snow. <laughs> I don't know. There's an hour left. Two hours left. Yeah. It's pretty cold here. Yeah, that's true. I tell you, can I just ask you what one one thing that you've learned about yourself at this Giro over the last three weeks? So I learned a lot. I really learned a lot. This was a I had to take this uh, this Giro really. I had to um, consume this Giro because uh, I haven't reached my goals. But maybe it gave more than 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 if I take a win at the stage ten and then I I'm still the same person. So I learned a lot about myself. I was really deep this Giro. I never been so deep in my life uh, mentally. And uh, what was the lowest point? Uh, which stage was that? I remember the hotel. Um, was it was a good breakaway which won and I haven't been there uh, not the first one and not the last one in this Giro which was that uh, in the in the middle Turin Konye uh, before Turin before Turin was uh, Yezi Gamay yeah. won maybe uh, no 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 this was already a bit better uh, around the, around half time was a stage which uh, really killed me in the head that it's a, it's a good stage for me I should be in the break I should be able to fight for the win and I'm not I'm just not there I don't have the legs I don't have the mindset to, to make myself suffer because I feel it's harder than it usually and uh, then I had to change my mind to enjoy what I'm doing even if I'm not where I want to be and so far I did my races with, uh, with this mindset I want to enjoy cycling because if you win, you enjoy cycling and that's your goal, to be successful, to be good, to enjoy. But it's not the only way to enjoy. I'm doing, I have a super job, I, I'm not working, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing my passion and uh, I just forget about it for 10 days and it was horrible. I didn't enjoy the first part of the Giro after Hungary, 
the, from the first stage on because I was feeling I'm only good if I have some results and it was a really, really good lesson for me. You talked a lot about enjoying it before the race, but it's easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? Yeah, I, I thought about it would be stressful, it would be hard, and uh, but yeah, I don't know, it was just different. But also, I don't know why I didn't have the legs I was hoped for. I didn't have the legs which I had in Tour des Alpes. And then you just miss a little bit, and in the head it's already so painful, like... What did I do wrong? I didn't prepare well. I didn't do something well. I'm I'm missing some power, and uh, this is a really bad feeling. And now with the start in Hungary, I had an extra feeling that if if any time in my life I could win, I want to win, I want to win now because we started from my country. So I want to show them this gives me extra power. But you know, of course, mentally it gives you also power and uh, enjoyment. But you're, just, you're not going to be stronger because you are in, in those roads. Uh, if your body is uh, sick or if you're mentally weak, if you're missing something, it's, it's hard to change because you are in your home city. And I think it turns quite the opposite for me that I was missed something and I wanted even more than I would be able to. And uh, yeah, this, this was a bad combo for me, this, this Giro. But it was really good to, to learn how to let it go. And then uh, the last week, was was quite good i was i was back at my normal level i was able to fight for a victory um yeah in the end i'm happy with this year and last thing i tell you one thing you learned about italy it's really hot in may not always someone said yeah. that the thing they learned was that it doesn't always snow in italy in may because often it snows on the Giro. yeah it was a uh, last Giro was was not like this it was completely quite the opposite I, I don't know if I learned anything because I do so much races in Italy. Hey, it's my favorite place to race, especially this part, Trento and, and the Alps and the Dolomites. I really like this part, so I couldn't wait actually to, to get here. Jacopo Guarnieri, one thing that you've learned about yourself in this Giro and one thing you've learned about Italy? Oh, what I learned about Italy? I don't know. I saw some new interesting places. Um, about Italy, I don't know. Calabria is always a big surprise, you know. Uh, often uh, uh, we kind of skip or let's say in 2020 when we were there it was raining so actually you just see two meters ahead of you and uh, this year uh, the panorama was just amazing was stunning and uh, I saw a lot of love towards uh, our team uh, to myself to Arno it was really nice uh, I feel like uh, you know I always raced almost my entire career except the first years for foreign country, um, teams uh, helping foreign sprinters and uh, I feel like I kind of recognize it uh, as, uh, as a lead out also in Italy now, so it's a really nice feeling. And one thing about yourself that you've learned? Uh, you know, I got my girlfriend working here at the Giro, and, uh, but she was, you know, we got bubbles. And at first she said, oh, I'm gonna come this year as well, it might be fun, you know, but actually it's a month we can see each other without talking, so I learned about patience. Ben Chula. Just one thing you've learned about yourself and your abilities over the last three weeks. Um, yeah, I think doing a Grand Tour, it's like a year's racing in one race. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's different to any other race. Of course, 21 days of racing, it's, uh, it takes its toll. Of course, now I'm looking forward to a little bit of rest. But uh, yeah, as I said before, I've really enjoyed this race. It's been a fantastic team effort. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be at the start line of another Grand Tour soon. And one thing you've learned about Italy? Um, they're amazing fans. Good food. It's been a... Uh, good part of the race chefs made some really nice pasta so 
Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Cesare Benedetti. Tell me one thing you've learned about yourself during this Giro and one thing you've learned about Italy. Well, myself, uh, that I should use, despite being 35 almost, uh, this is something to learn, you know, from new directors. And there's still uh, place to work uh, in my mind strengths, I think. And about Italy, well, I was, uh, it was my first time in uh, in Naples, you know, so uh, yeah, that's something something new. Uh, uh, Did you like it? Yeah, I haven't seen that much, you know, but yeah, the, the square was pretty nice. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport for fueling us through the Giro d'Italia. They fueled me on my ride this morning as well because I went out for a couple of hours before settling down to watch the time trial and I took with me, as an insurance policy really, the old favourite, my old favourite, one of the tiramisu cake bars which I've got a stash of. And it felt appropriate because it's the final day of the Giro d'Italia and the race was in Verona, not a million miles away from Treviso, which is one of the towns which claims to have invented tiramisu. I'm not going to open that particular can of worms. All I will say is that the tiramisu cake bake is uh, it's a real treat. It feels like an energy food that could also be enjoyed with a cup of coffee uh, as a treat. Anyway, if you want to get 25% off all Science and Sports products at scienceandsport.com, use the discount code SISCP25. Sì, penso, penso di sì, però il giro è sempre un qualcosa di unico, regala sempre grandi emozioni e anche questa volta eh, me ne ha regalato tanto, quindi sono veramente molto contento di come è andato, ho lottato, ho sofferto, ci sono state giornate meno buone, giornate... Well, Brian, that was Vincenzo Nibali um, saying that he was happy with how his Giro had gone. He was—he didn't seem too emotional. He was thankful. But, but, he well, was, does he ever, unless he's not unless really. he's winning? Maybe that's actually what what defines him. Also, I didn't expect tears, and I didn't get tears. Not 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 that I noticed anyway. Um, but it's been a fantastic Giro d'Italia for him, hasn't it? I would never have believed that he would finish in the top five of this Giro d'Italia, and in fact, he's finished fourth. Yeah, fantastic. He deserves a lot of respect for, for what he's done in an era uh, of Italian cycling that I think in a lot of ways, at least here, has really belonged to him. I, I don't think in other places, it, it, in, I don't think he's gotten enough credit. Here's a guy who's won all three Grand Tours. He's, he's won an incredible victory, uh, a couple of them at Lombardy, but also the way he won San Remo. He's, he's given this sport so much and he's, um, he's a super popular rider and he's someone that I think that it's gonna it's gonna leave a, a huge gap when he's gone at the end of, of this season he's uh, and I really see him as a, as a, he's a gentleman of the sport he is, he's I wouldn't say that he's unassuming but he's definitely someone that always sort of treats the sport with respect I think and he seems to be to, to be internally in the sport like for that as well Brian you mentioned there his palmares you mentioned his victories. I don't know about you, but I think, oh, and I felt at the time that the San Remo victory that took him into a different dimension because of how well how different it was from his his Grand Tour victories. And um, it came at a time, and I think things have changed over the last few years with the emergence of these super talents, particularly Pogacar. But it came at a time when we were really were not accustomed to seeing great stage races 
win big one day classics no, a- no. unless it was Lombardy yeah and it was in an era where you had to specialize so specifically on when you needed to be on peak form that that was basically it you, it was a long era where you didn't see it wasn't really until Wiggins had a go at at Paris-Roubaix but that was after he was done riding the tour for the GC so it's unusual and it, it takes a great champion to do that it just takes an incredibly focused and but also unconservative in modern era type of bike rider and, and you know, thankfully we have Pogaccia now who, who he'll ride anything and try and win it and Brian you and I have what well, we've referred to and almost bemoaned the, the demise the slow slide of Italian cycling but one thing that has remained constant and you and I know and I think it's sometimes lost on people who maybe ha- haven't had quite as much contact with or experience of cycling in Italy is how big Milan San Remo is and, and the pressure that's on that day and when you're a rider who's not suited to the course to pull that victory out and again with Lombardy as well to a lesser extent I mean the Lombardy route certainly does suit Nibali well but I just thought that that was in my eyes the defining victory of his career also with Nibali his Grand Tour victories I mean all fantastic in themselves but you know he had a 2013 Giro d'Italia that was was affected by the weather and there were shortened stages and he was probably not given um, or it didn't get the climax that it deserved because of that. In 2014, Froome had crashed out of the Tour de France and he won by a massive margin as well. And in terms of, of just uh, moments when the Italian public all got together and was able to celebrate what, what had become the talisman of their cycling movement, I thought Milan Sanremo was his crowning glory, really. Talking of crowning glories for Italian riders, uh, Matteo Sobrero, the Italian time trial champion well we heard from him yesterday didn't we about how he was targeting today how he prepared for today by trying to take it fairly easy not quite glass cranking but um, not far off in the last few days and wow did it work what a performance brian at the finish today i saw his coach a good friend of the podcast marco pinotti told me a nice little story about his conversation with sobrero and also a time trial that Pinotti had ridden in the Giro d'Italia over the, pretty much the same course as today a few years ago. Here's Marco Pinotti. Uh, so uh, in 2010, I, 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 I was second in this time trial and uh, I lost it in the descent. I had the best time of four, 12 seconds faster than the, the winner Larson and I lost everything I had in the descent. And uh, yes, last night I told Matteo during massage, listen, Matteo, it's 12 years. Sometimes the, Nime, the ghost of uh, Torricelli still visits me in the nightmare in the cold winter night. So we got to, to kill him, you know, uh, metaphorically. It's <laughs> like, you, we need to win tomorrow. Sweet dreams tonight, Marco. Yeah, I think so. Thank you. So that was Marco Pinotti, as I said, friend of the podcast. Matteo Sobrero is a, is a good friend of the podcast as well. And um, we've mentioned his... His winemaking on many occasions. He said tonight, Brian, didn't he, that it would be 50-50. His, the celebrations would be divided 50-50 between the wine that his parents or his, his dad father had, brought had brought down a bunch of wine for them to Piedmont. celebrate with. Yeah. yeah, 50-50 between that and some of the local the local Valpolicella, I guess. Or maybe he may, they might even stretch to an Amarone this evening. If it was Brian Nygaard, he'd definitely be stretching to an Amarone, I think. No. No, no, no. he doesn't. I like a lot of wine not, and Amarone. He's not, uh, not one of them. We had a nice uh, Lagrine last night, didn't we, in Yeah, Bozzano. we actually also had a second wine, and, and I can just add this because it's, it, it, I thought about it this morning. We had two different wines, and they, they were very, uh, I think, 
personality-wise, the Lagrain is is definitely more like you, and the Pinot is more like oh, me. Go on, would yeah, you like to elaborate? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so the Lag the Lagrain is is quite thick-skinned. It's quite durable, robust, and it's it's complex, but it, it it will also give you a lot of immediate joy. Whereas the Pinot, which I identify with a bit more, you're at least subtle, in my own you're more thinking. complex. No, no, it's it's just more thin-skinned. It'll always adapt to the terroir. It'll always specifically taste exactly like where it's from. And yeah, it's it's quite sensitive, and it's impossible to grow. And so that's probably I'm, me. I'm the rhino. You're the feline. Is that what we're saying? Okay, okay. We'll we'll go with that. Well, Brian, it's not quite the end of the episode, but it is pretty much the end of our Giro d'Italia. You're off down to Tuscany tomorrow. I'm actually off to Tuscany as well for a little bit of a holiday before I resume on the um, Dauphiné. And um, well, what a three weeks it's been. One thing that I think we'd both like to mention and would like to express our gratitude for is the support of our listeners throughout the Giro d'Italia and not only the Giro d'Italia, but a very difficult period for us um, in the month or so preceding the Giro d'Italia as well, we've already said, but we we will reiterate, and it bears reiterating. Um, it's it's been incredibly touching, incredibly motivating, and as we've already said, these are long races. There's a lot of travelling involved, very long days, a lot of work, and without the support of our listeners and without the the source of inspiration that they provide, it would be even more difficult and. And I would also say, as I say every year, this is an immense privilege to be on this race and to be covering this race, and we don't take it lightly at all. We didn't take it lightly um, in the, the the COVID period when we knew that people weren't travelling. We had the good fortune to be able to travel around Italy, France, Spain, and we do try to squeeze out every drop of, of enjoyment and also value for the listeners, and I just hope that we've been able to do that. And that, Brian brings us to what will be the final installment of the Giro del Buffalo of this Giro d'Italia. We've been, as mentioned earlier, we've been accompanied by the spirit of Richard throughout this throughout these three weeks and also by these audio clips that I know have been quite difficult to listen to for, for some, but for others have have provided solace and amusement and some joy as well. And I certainly think that's going to be the case with this final clip, which really sums up our feeling as we leave, as we bow out of this Giro d'Italia, it's Richard reading a passage written by Dino Buzzati, the famous writer, novelist, journalist, and one time in 1949 correspondent on the Giro d'Italia. And this is what Buzzati wrote about precisely this moment at the end of every Giro when we all say our goodbyes and, well, with the hope of reconvening in a year's time to enjoy another lap around Italy. Brian, I'm going to say buonasera and I'm going to let Richard read us out. Buonasera, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Il Giro del Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. And next year, in May, the starter will once more lower his flag and again the year after that, and so on, spring after spring, the enchantment will live on. Until the day, but will we still be alive, when reasonable people will say it is absurd to continue. By then, bicycles will become rare, almost comical scrap metal, used by a few nostalgic maniacs, and voices will be raised ridiculing the Giro d'Italia. No, don't give up, bicycle. By then we will probably be dead and buried. Copy will be an emaciated, shaking little grandfather, unknown to the new generations. 
Other names will be shouted by the crowds. Do not yield, O divine bicycle, as Henri de Grange, the tour's patron, has said. If you were to surrender, it would mean the end, not only of an era in sports, a chapter in civilization, but also put an even greater restriction on what is left of the realm of illusion, where simple souls find relief. At the risk of seeming ridiculous, take off again on a cool May morning and travel the ancient roads of Italy. By then we will be travelling mostly by rocket trains. Atomic energy will be sparing us the least little effort. We will be extremely powerful and civilised. Pay no attention to us, bicycle. Just fly along with your frail strength by mountains and valleys, sweat, strive and suffer. From his isolated alpine hut, the woodcutter will still come down to shout hurrah. Fishermen will climb up from the beach. Accountants will abandon their ledgers. The blacksmith will let the fire die so he can come to celebrate you. The poets, the dreamers, the good and the humble people, still sensitive to kindness, will still crowd the edges of the roads, forgetting poverty and hardship, thanks to you. And the young girls will cover you with flowers. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne. Yeah.